Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. All right. Get your Bibles or Bible apps opened up. If you have one, uh, Matthew chapter number six is where I'd like for you to turn today. Matthew chapter six, we're going to start in verse 25. It's up on the screens. Go ahead and find that and hold that. We're going to jump into this. Uh, I, I had a dream. I had a dream this uh, last week, and it was it was kind of a weird dream. Well, most dreams are weird, but this was this was a very weird dream. But but um, I, and it's funny because I didn't remember the dream when I woke up. I remembered the dream when I sat down to get my hair cut. And you know how you're like in a, in a certain place, and all of a sudden you're going, "Oh my goodness!" I just I, I remember a dream I had last night. Well, I remembered the dream in its entirety as soon as I sat down to get my hair cut, and um, and it kind of startled me as I as I reflected on it all. But in this dream, in the dream, okay, I woke up in the morning and I looked in the mirror and I only had hair like here on the sides. I mean, there there was there was there was no hair on top, and and I was completely bald on top. And as my, my first my first emotion was like. Oh no! You know, I, I went over to my pillow, and there was also all the hair. And uh, you know, my wife was asleep; she didn't know. And I'm like, "Who's got?" Well, and it, it's so funny. I just thought, "Well, I, I like within two seconds." I went, "Well, easy come, easy go." And that's just life. In my dream, I just said, "The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." And so I kind of gently shampooed you know my hair, and and I, I cried combing it, and it just didn't work. And I thought, "Well." Whatever, I'm just going to move into my day with my overnight baldness, and and I handled it so well. I mean, I I was actually I was I was actually proud of myself of how well I handled it. But you know what? What happens in our dreams really isn't reality because I don't know if I would have handled it quite that same way if it was reality. If it all just went poof went away overnight, I'd have been pretty stressed. Um, but stress happens. We all deal with varying degrees of stress. So I've decided to title my message today, Unloading Stress Overload. I want you to get ready to write a few things down. Get those notes out because I've actually been praying that God will be speaking to you today uh, some, some truths and make them alive to you. Because uh, sometimes we just, we just lose it, right? We, we just, you just lose it. You're stressed out. You can't take it anymore and you lose it. But an overload of stress can be destructive when you snap, Right? I was uh, reading a little bit about stress this week and just some information about it, how it affects us. And, and, and actually, I, I found out, you know, our bodies do have these stress signals. They, they tell us, our bodies tell us that you're stressed out when you feel a rapid heartbeat, dizzy spells, tight muscles and body aches. And, and, and like when these symptoms persist and we've all felt them, uh, we're actually at risk of some really heavy, serious um, health problems. And uh, excessive thing is excessive stress actually diminishes and even exhausts our immune system. Uh, there's a statistic out that says this says 90%. Now that's huge. 90% of illness is somehow stress-related. That's huge, guys. So we need to unload our stress overload. Now, 
I'll just tell you right up front today, I'm not going to be talking about some of the standard 2019 uh, ways that we get rid of stress because you know them all too well. I mean, uh, and so, you know, go ahead. Exercise is a good thing. Uh, if you like to use essential oils, I don't because they're smelly. But if you like essential oils and you're into that, good, good. Just get oiled up and you let your stress go away. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, maybe, maybe you just need to laugh and smile more. Good. Do that. If you need more sleep, get some sleep. If you need to see a therapist, so see a therapist. All the people who specialize in these areas are going to be lined up here on the side right after church. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, that'd be half the congregation. All right. But, uh, I do want, though, us to look at the core issue. Let's take a look at what the scriptures actually say about this. Um, in a survey regarding stress overload, the respondents were given six different options to choose like the type of stress that, that, you know, that stresses them out the most, the type of stress, the category that they deal with the most. And almost half of the respondents selected one, only one of the six options, and that is the option worry. That's huge. It overwhelmingly suggests that worry is the most common cause of stress. You're engulfed. The stress of worry just begins to overtake you. What happens then is you can't turn off your thoughts. They just keep going and going. You drive yourself at this high RPM, but you rarely put it in gear to actually take any action. Uh, You're kind of driven by the analysis by uh, paralysis by analysis. You can't move forward because you can't make a decision. You get anxiety and uh, tension headaches. And you find that you're even slow to recover from those high stress situations. You, you, have, you have a hard time coming down from them. Um, I, I read that a typical worrier spends as much as 30% of their time and energy worrying. That's a third of your waking hours, your energy and your time. Who wants to do that? But we do. And perhaps surprisingly, worriers don't stress about this endless list of things. A typical worrier, supposedly, uh, worries about three to five things constantly. What is worry? Well, it's when you just begin thinking about all the negative possibilities that just might happen. Worry uh, diminishes your enjoyment of your friends. Worry uh, diminishes the enjoyment of being with family. Uh, you can't enjoy your achievements or, or even your physical well-being. Why? Because you're stressed out. And you're living in constant fear that something just might go wrong. And you don't know what to do about it. The, um, the, the old English root word for worry is kind of interesting. It means to gnaw. To gnaw. About 15 years ago, I lived up in the Arctic Circle well, I mean, okay, I, I want to be honest. It, it wasn't exactly the Arctic Circle according to the lines on the map. I mean, it was northern Missouri. But <laughs> I'm just telling you, I lived there in the Kansas City area for a few years. And for a Texas boy, Kansas City winters are ridiculous. If you're from Kansas City, I love you, but I don't love your town, all right? But the, this, this, this one spring, after one of the cold days of winter was gone, the ground had begun to thaw. I thought I could actually be happy again. Well, my two-year-old dachshund, her name was Sophie, she went taking off running out in the backyard, was so happy to be outside, so beautiful. She was exuberant that spring had arrived, and, and I, so I just went out and watched her, and she was just sniffing around on the ground everywhere in the backyard, every inch of the yard, just like all the fresh little smells, I guess, that dogs like. It was so cute. And then all of a sudden, she ran under the deck. 
And, and she ran under the deck and started digging. And I thought, oh my goodness, now she can't come back in the house. Rebecca's not going to like that. But I was like, this is kind of fun. I'm going to watch her dig. So, so I watched her dig and, and, uh, and she was making this huge mess. But I was, I was intrigued. She just kept digging and digging and digging. And, and, and then all of a sudden she stuck her snout down in there in the hole and pulled out something that to me looked like a rotten banana peel freaked me out. I mean, and so she pulls this thing out and takes it over to the yard and lays down in the sun and just starts munching and chewing on it. This thing's caked with mud, guys. I freaked out. It was gross. So I ran over to try to stop her and, you know, to stop eating the trash that she unearthed. And I, I took it out of her mouth and she kind of looked at me. And, and, uh, and what it was, it was just this large rawhide bone it had given to her last fall, and she had buried it the previous autumn, obviously, knowing winter's coming, time to bury the food, you know, <laughs> snacks. And so Sophie came back five months later, no kid, five months later, to continue to gnaw on the nasty, mud-caked rawhide. <laughs> I'm just telling you guys, it was a hideous sight. I mean, talk about mud drool, that's what I was saying, and I was on my hands now. You know what, but when we worry... We're like a dog that's going back to last year's bone, saturated with mud, gnawing on it all day long. And then we bury the bone again and we dig it up. And we bury it and dig it up. That same old pain gets re-worried all the time as we gnaw away. And it's really not a very pretty thing. So no wonder you're stressed, right? Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here we're going to see uh, this story. That actually, it's a, it's a sermon of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus felt this issue was really important because he dedicated much to what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe is actually a collection of, of sermons. But he, he, he dedicated to this topic. Jesus preached about the stress of worry and what to do about it. It's kind of interesting because stress was obviously a big deal to first century people just like it is to us. Probably a little bit different, but actually a lot the same. So let's see what we can glean from Jesus' sermon. What was he teaching the people? He says this. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. In fact, that could have been his sermon title. I don't know if they did sermon titles then. But do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, what you, about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? L- look at the birds of the air. And I kind of think about that as like probably at that moment there were some birds flying by. I mean, hey, if you were Jesus, you can kind of create your own illustrations. Okay, birds right now. And they go, tree, 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 tree. and now look at the birds of the sky. I don't know if he did that or not, but I think it'd be cool. Uh, I, he didn't have to have a, like a, a production team to help make birds fly through at a certain point. And I'm not going to have birds fly through, but it'd still be cool. All right, but look at the birds of the air. Look at them, he's saying. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much, are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about your clothes? He's, he's getting personal now. Look, look how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of those. And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh you of little faith? So Jesus says, do not worry, saying, well, what are we going to eat? What will we drink? 
What will we wear? For all the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he gives a solution. Here he says it. This is the key verse right here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All right? Key verse. Hold your finger there. Underline it. Put stars by it. Important. And then he wraps it up by saying this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. And this is good. I like what Jesus says here. For tomorrow will worry about itself. In fact, there's going to be plenty of stuff to deal with then. I like it because Jesus deals with reality here. He doesn't make this all fluffy and puffy. He says each day has enough trouble of its own. And you know that's the truth. So we know Jesus is talking truth. So stop stressing. So he, he just takes this problem head on, stress and worry, and he gives us this interesting twofold solution. He says, if you're going to unload stress overload, you need to do two things. Seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. Nice. That's, that's nice, right? But the problem is, most of us actually get really confused at this point. I mean, what did Jesus mean by those statements? I mean, how do we do that? And really, you know, I could stand up here all morning and preach you, keep preaching to you and say, seek God's kingdom, seek God's righteousness if you're gonna unload your stress. And you can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? If you don't understand what it means and you don't know how to do it, you can't and you won't be able to take the steps forward to correct your stress and worry. And I want you to be able to take those steps forward. Well, look at it. Uh, you know, at first glance, you might look at this thing that says seek his kingdom and you might think, well, that means to think more about heaven. You look at the seek his righteousness. Well, maybe that means that we should try harder to be better people. But I'll just be honest with you, that's not what Jesus is saying here. And we're going to get into it. So we're going to have a little fun. We're going to break it down today. I'm going to do things a little different. Uh, We're going to take a look at each one of these individual words as translated from their original Greek language. We're going to get nerdy today. Is that okay? Is it okay to be just a little nerdy? I try to save all the nerdiness for the office because I really enjoy the nerdy part before I preach. But today, it just, the, the nerdiness just overflowed into the sermon. Let's, can we be nerdy? I mean, you don't have to be. I will be, all right? Just enjoy it today. Okay, this is good. This, this term seek, let's take a look at this first. Let's break this down. Seek, what does that mean? Well, that, that word means this. In, in its original language, it means to crave. This is important. To crave and expect something from someone. Okay, so in other words, it's a choice that we make. Honestly, basically what Jesus is saying is you need to choose to crave. Heighten your expectation. This concept of, uh, of craving and expecting something from God is actually what faith is all about. Now you understand, like without faith, it's impossible to please God because that's really what he's saying to do there. Now, now, to seek doesn't mean what some might think it means. It doesn't mean you're going to play hide and seek with God. God's hiding under the bed, and we're going to see if we can find God. I'm going to hunt you down, God. I even remember when I was a kid, I was taught this as a wonderful Sunday school teacher. She didn't understand Greek etymology or anything like that. I love her and everything. But she said, you've got to keep looking for God. Yeah, but he's out there somewhere. I find him. That's not what it is, okay? He's not hiding in the closet, okay? What it is, it's saying heighten your faith and get this expectation from God ramped up and keep doing this until you begin to crave something from God. Now, that's huge right there. Okay, so understanding this, it makes a little more sense about why Jesus said this. I don't want to read this from the message version, part of this passage we just read. Jesus says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So right here we have our first key to regarding uh, to, to to help us regarding unloading uh, 
stress overload. You begin to expect something from God until a craving overtakes you. See, now the second word, first. That's interesting. The next, let's just call it the next word first. The second word first doesn't really come. So the next word first, take a look at this. Seek first, that's the key word. That means you're gonna crave and expect from God what is, I'm using the terminology, what is most important. Most important, critically important. Now, that word first is actually a Greek term that we have in our English language as well. It's the Greek term proton. You guys heard that word before? Yeah, some of you guys love that word. And you use it all the time. I used it when I was in, uh, you know, in high school and like once in college. I mean, that, that was about it. But, but uh, you remember science, proton. It is the, the particle located at the very center of the atom. We also call it the nucleus of the atom. So in other words, what we're doing here, if you're going to seek first, you're going to crave and expect what is in the center, all right? And, and, and what kind of a charge does a proton have? It has a what charge? Positive. You guys are so good. I had to look that one up also. A positive charge. We crave and expect. When I found that, I just like, this is, this is, in, this is, Unbelievable. We crave and we expect what is positive. That explains the problem with, uh, uh, you know, with worry right there because you're, you're expecting something negative. So that's why I kind of just arrive at that term in general most important because it's what's at the center. It's what's, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's positive. We are to crave and expect the positive. Crave and accept, uh, expect what is at the center of, of God and his kingdom. And, and that's the way to begin to unload this stress overload. You crave and expect what's most important. But that's not it. The statement goes on. Jesus said we're to crave and expect what's most important from God. What is most important? Well, he gives it to us. He said his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom. What does that mean? Well, this is where a lot of people, again, obviously think that, well, we're talking about heaven here. In fact, that's what the disciples thought he was talking about. You know, okay, we're going to think about heaven and talk about that. But, but heaven, I, I want, Jesus had to make this clear to his followers too. Heaven is like the is, not like, but it is the ultimate fulfillment of his kingdom. It is there and it is going to be wonderful, but we don't have it yet. We don't have heaven yet. What Jesus taught all through the New Testament is that the kingdom of God is actually among us right now. And that's because God is among us. And another thing is that when his Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us, his kingdom is within us. That's when we talk about the peace, the righteousness, peace and joy of the Holy Spirit because it's in us, peace and joy. His kingdom, got it? So what is a kingdom? Well, a kingdom is pretty simple. It's whatever belongs to a king. It's just, that's your kingdom. Um, Jesus is king, right? Jesus is king, so it's whatever belongs to him. But his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom on this earth, because whatever belongs to God, whatever belongs to Jesus, you know, is what we are supposed to seek first. We're supposed to diligently seek after whatever belongs to Jesus. Now you begin to see this. In fact, not only are you part of God's kingdom, 
there's even more to this. Scripture tells us you are co-heirs of God's kingdom. See, you're a beloved child of God and God calls you by name. He's given you at the place, a, a place at the table of the God of the universe and he promises countless treasures. Yeah, sure, material treasures, but he gives you these spiritual treasures that I'm talking about today. And in Jesus, everything is yours. If you want to unload stress overload, Jesus is reminding you to pursue his kingdom. Why is this? This is like what Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly. When you begin to understand this, your stress drops. So that in all things, not some, but all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, that, that right there should ease your worry and your stress because that's kingdom orientation. It's understanding this is that God will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. So what's available to you from God's kingdom will also exceed your personal need. What is the need? What is your need right now to get you out of this worry situation? Well, what's available to you is, exceeds that greatly. And here's even more amazing news is that God wants to do more than just respond or react to your needs. He wants to, desires to fill you and even fulfill you with his life and his love and his Holy Spirit power. That's his kingdom. That's what belongs to him, our king, and he wants to put it in you and among you. So when Jesus says to seek first his kingdom... My translation of that is this, is crave and expect from God what is most important of everything that belongs to him. That's faith right there. Seeking first his kingdom is just really having faith for the unbelievable. When you do this, you don't have to remain stressed out, beat down, discouraged, frustrated, angry, worried, upset. You can unload your stress overload. I want you to begin now to crave and expect from God what is most important of all that belongs to him. Because whatever belongs to him belongs to you because you're a co-heir. Okay, now, so, so that's part of it. But Jesus said it's twofold. Seek his kingdom, seek first his kingdom, and then we say seek first his righteousness. What does his righteousness mean? What does that mean? Well, is it something that you do? Is it something you are? Is it doing right? Is it being right? Well, there's a common misreading of this, this passage because a lot of people will read this and think that it's saying that we are to seek our righteousness and try harder to measure up so God will be happy with us. But of course, you know this, you can't ever measure up because you'll always fall short. You will. And as I was reading through this, it just jumped out at me. It's like it screamed at me. It doesn't say seek your righteousness. <laughs> it says seek his righteousness. It doesn't say seek your own righteousness. See, you're not righteous because you have moral standards. And I hope you do, but <laughs> you're not righteous because of that. You're not righteous because you use self-control. You're not righteous because you read five chapters in the Bible a day. I've only read four today, so maybe I wouldn't be righteous yet, you know? You're not righteous because you tithe. You're not righteous because you go to church or feel good about yourself. You're not righteous because you feel righteous. It's not based on a feeling or something that you do. You're actually righteous because God's righteousness is in you by faith, because you believed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by faith. Now, that's exactly how it works. And you gotta have faith for that. 
because you know yourself. <laughs> you see, it doesn't take any faith at all to know that you're sinful. That takes no faith. It's like, well, duh, yeah. But you do need faith to believe and declare that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus when you are in the middle of your weaknesses and your struggles and your stress. I love it because Paul says this. He says, Jesus took our sins and gave us his righteousness. Okay, when this clicks in your heart and in your mind, it will give you strength to move forward and you don't have to be hung up on all this stuff. I mean, you, you'll begin to love your spouse and, and reconcile things with her. God wants you to be conscious of this, this everlasting righteousness in Christ that's ours. He, he wants you to be established in what Jesus has already done for you. And, and please know this, you don't have to strive. You don't have to force it. So much stress is because we're striving and we're forcing and we're pushing and pushing and pushing. That's what stresses so many people out. No wonder Jesus says, seek my righteousness. I love it because Galatians chapter two, verse six, Paul just, Paul deals with this head on. Look at what he said. He says, God imputes righteousness. Okay, he imputes righteousness. So it's like, it's, he takes righteousness and just, <laughs> all right? That's what he does to you, okay. But it says, God imputes righteousness not to those who strive to obey the law. Break it down for you a little bit more. God, God is this saying, God doesn't like give righteous, his righteousness to people who are really trying super, super hard to obey every single rule. Uh, I, yeah, I think we should obey the rules, but striving, that constant thing of being uptight all the time, that doesn't make you more righteous. But to those who believe in Jesus and receive his righteousness. So when we believe in Christ, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. And because uh, you know there are some people who believe that Jesus Christ forgave their sins. They believe him, but they don't receive his righteousness because they don't think they're good enough. But you're not. That's the whole point. That's why we need his righteousness. So we receive that righteousness. And when you get this, you can begin to chill instead of strive. And it's gonna put some courage in your heart and you're gonna have this unshakable peace in your soul. It's gonna energize your faith. You're gonna begin to pray different. You're gonna have confident expectation that you're gonna receive good things from God. You're gonna begin to live different. You're gonna act different. You're gonna be a different person. See, Jesus already knows what you need each day. He knows what you need. He knows the stress you're going through. So don't worry about it. That's why we seek first his righteousness. And when you know that you are in right standing with God because of Jesus' righteousness, it always just puts him on your side. And don't you want that? Yeah. I mean, just think about it. It's like with Christ on your side, knowing that, I mean, it's, it's like all of your stress will just melt away like dropping a, you know, an ice cream cone on some hot Texas asphalt in the summer. It just is gone. Yeah, that's what happens to your stress when you get this. Seek first his righteousness. Here's how I like to say it. Crave and expect from God the protection of his righteousness. It protects you. Because if God is for you, who and what can be against you? 
In fact, his righteousness is often seen as armor, uh, as described in the Bible as a breastplate covering the most vital organs of the body, the breastplate of his righteousness, not our own. It gives us protection from every attack against hell. And I'm telling you guys, when you're stressed out and you're frozen up and you're angry and you're about ready to snap, that is an attack from hell. Just see it the way that it really is. That breastplate of righteousness helps to protect you from that. And you're at peace with God and, and Satan can't penetrate that armor as long as you keep his righteousness on. Okay, now let's look at what, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter six. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Part of the devil's scheme is to make you sick, to make you break down, to make you freak out. And just like we've even, you know, science has already told us this, it's caused by worry and stress, so much of it. So that's a big part of Satan's agenda for your life. Now, I, I like this because he goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, People, other people are not the problem. You say, oh, yes, it is. You don't know my boss. Well, no, I don't know your boss, and, and she might be a crazy woman. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, she, someone says she. Okay, maybe someone has a he boss. All right. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's, it's, it's not... That's not, the, that's not the object. Some of you are like, well, yeah, it's my spouse. You know, that's, they're the problem. <laughs> you are not wrestling with flesh and blood. It's not the people that's the problem. It's hell that's the problem. Okay, and so Paul goes on to describe this. He, he, he breaks down, he talks about really different, several different demonic entities, kind of different levels of demonic uh, um, entities, and he, here's the way he put it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, demon spirits of different rank. So, because our battle is really against hell, he says this. Look at the next verse. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, because bad things will happen. The Bible never says that you're going to have a perfect life. Bad things will happen when it comes, then you're going to be able to stand. And then after you've done everything, I love this, you're still going to stand. So Paul says, so stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And he goes on and describes other pieces of armor. But then, I like it, down a couple verses later, he describes how to keep the armor in place. A lot of times we leave this out. I want us to look at it because here's how to keep the armor in place. He says, here's how you do it. You pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray, pray in your spiritual language. Pray, keep those prayers going. Keep those prayers going. And, And then he goes on to say, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So, so you're praying constantly with all different kinds of prayers and you're praying for God's people. What does that mean? You, you pray for the people in your church. You pray for the people around you. Come on, you know they need prayer. You know they need prayer. <laughs> yeah, you seriously, you're looking at me going, yeah, I'm not looking at them. Yes, I know they need prayer. Now, you know they need prayer because you know you need prayer, right? Yeah, that's the truth. And wouldn't you love for everybody to be praying for you? It's like, well, I don't want them knowing everything about me. Well, they don't have to know everything about you, but you surely can say pray for me. How cool is that? That's actually a tactic of keeping the righteousness of God in place. We pray constantly. We also pray for those around us. And then he goes on to say something really interesting. Um, and uh, a lot of people just 
stop right there, but I'm going to read this next verse. Uh, he says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words will be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And I say, well, he's praying for Paul. You know, why, why are we going to pray for Paul? He's dead, so we can just leave that scripture out. Actually, no, that's not the case. <laughs> what Paul is saying here, first of all, Paul is saying, please, please make sure you're praying for me so I can preach better. But Paul's gone, so who are you going to pray for now? Pray for me. Get this, pray for your pastor so he can preach better. Yeah, I want to be able to preach better. There's, there's something interesting. There's, there's this uh, that you really don't, wouldn't understand unless you're, you, you do this, <laughs> preach. But there's this battle from hell. You know, every time you get up to preach, this, this battle tries to get you to not say this and do say that or to, or to you know, it's, it's people's criticisms and, and all that kind of stuff that makes you sometimes feel like I can't say this or don't say that or are people going to misconstrue and so you don't, don't say. And I'm, that is a very, very real, it is a huge battle. It's a huge battle. How do I overcome it? Well, you know, I have to pray. But can you imagine if all of you guys are praying for me? Now, if I'm not your pastor, if you go to some other church, you're just visiting here today, you need to be praying for your pastor. You need to pray for your pastor right now. Some of you've been thinking, boy, that pastor, he, I, I sure do. You might be thinking, man, this pastor should have preached better than my pastor at home. Well, then you need to be praying for your pastor. Scripture says, and what does that do for you? It keeps your armor in place. There is a personal benefit to that. Absolutely. Or you might be visiting here today and say, thank God, this guy's not my pastor. I'll be praying for him. Like, please do, all right? <laughs> hey, guys, please get this. It's not God's plan for you to be overloaded with stress. You are not designed by God to carry that. It is an attack from hell. Worry, confusion, reactive behaviors, just this underlying, underlying seething anger at the world, that is not God's agenda for you. Jesus made it very clear. We are to crave and expect from God what is most important to him. Whatever belongs to him, whatever belongs to him, we are supposed to make that ours. Crave and expect for God, from God the protection of his righteousness. Keep praying in the spirit. Pray for your other believers. Pray for your pastor. This stuff dispels and it crushes stress overload. I don't understand every bit of it, but I believe God's word. I say, yeah, but you don't understand what things are like with me. Well, even if your job is on the line, even if your health is borderline, maybe you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. Maybe you have a child that's running from God. Maybe you're working 90 hours a week and possibly even your spouse just walked out on you and those things happen but it doesn't have to crush you. Crave and expect from God what is most important of all the things that belong to him, because they're yours anyway. Crave and expect from God the protection of his righteousness. Let today be your day of breakthrough as you unload that stress and leave it here. I want you just to imagine what this place would look like if you could just kind of see into the spirit realm. Just these huge, big backpacks of stress. If people were just to dump them and unload them right here. Just imagine this big pile of stress and people walking out of here so free. I think that's what God wants. I think that's what God wants for you. I know that's what God wants for me. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. I want you to let these words soothe your soul right now. Listen to these words from Jesus. He said, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, and do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, Jesus said. To not be so preoccupied with getting 
so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Crave and expect from God what's most important of everything that belongs to him because it's yours. Crave and expect from God the protection of his righteousness. It's time for us to live. And Lord, right now, we just leave all this stuff right here. We unload that stress overload and we walk out of here in freedom and joy, the spirit of breakthrough in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.